cybersecurity now gets an immense amount of attention. It hasn't always been this way, but there were people who were thinking about this 20 or even 30 years ago. I'm Jim Lewis, Senior Vice President and Director of the Technology Policy Program here at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. This podcast, Cyber from the Start, goes to the roots of cybersecurity. It looks at how we develop the policies we have for critical infrastructure, surveillance, espionage, warfare, and privacy. Looking at this and talking to the people who helped lay the foundations will help us see where we started and how we ended up where we are today. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. So what's new with Firma? Um, what did you do there? Uh, why did you do it anyhow? What led you to it? It grew out of SSCI to some extent. What led you to start thinking about Firma? Yeah. When um, So when uh, my former boss, uh, Senator John Cornyn, joined the Intelligence Committee, this was a, a big priority for him. So we, uh, we, we spent a lot of time and, and energy uh, diving into this with briefings and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of meetings and just getting smart on that. Um, you know, he was principally concerned about the uh, the China threat and, you know, China vacuuming up, you know, U.S. technology any which way it could. So that's really what drove the his interest in it. Um, so in terms of what's new in it, yeah. I think really at kind of a high level, um, what I like the best is that it makes CFIUS much more relevant in terms of national security risks of today and also a lot more efficient in terms of its process. It, um, it reflects, you know, things like complicated transaction structures and globalized supply chains, which I think are, you know, the last time CFIUS was overhauled, it was 2007, mm-hmm. and these things were not as, as prevalent. So that's... Dubai ports. Dubai ports was about infrastructure, and here we're talking about technology, so it's really a different, uh, different ballgame. They also, you know, we also expanded CFIUS in a very targeted fashion in terms of its jurisdiction, narrowly tailoring, it, tailoring the jurisdiction to address... Uh, situations where there were really heightened national security risks. So things where there where somebody, a foreign person is getting a board seat, mm-hmm. getting access to certain technical data, certain proprietary information that you wouldn't want them to have. Um, so those are kind of the triggers for, you know, certain parts of the new jurisdiction, which I think makes it pretty, um, mm-hmm. you know, pretty focused and pretty, pretty surgical. Mm. So I remember that the bill wasn't always uh, uh, smooth sailing in the drafting. What were, what were some of the tough issues that came up for you? And how did you work through them? But first, tough issues. Yes. Yeah, so really, the uh, you know the real hot spot, I think, perhaps segues nicely with the topic of emerging and foundational technologies, was really the the driving uh, interest we were trying to to get after was overseas joint ventures, mm-hmm. especially those involving sort of crown jewel technologies. Uh, not a technical term, but you get the idea. But these were you know JVs where the foreign partner was conducting essentially a de facto acquisition of a U.S. company or part of a U.S. company, and they were getting, you know, essentially an industrial capability that was embodied in that, in that U.S. business. So it was really sort of a circumvention of CFIUS. Um, in some ways, it was a gaming, in certain cases, of the export control system. And that was a real hotspot because um, it was in the original bill. There were certain companies who have to remain nameless who really got animated about that. And uh, there was really a, a sort of... Um, a sort of strong uh, pushback from key key companies, and they you know they really um, I think encouraged other companies and trade associations to rail against that part of the bill. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, in order to save the rest of the bill, uh, my former boss and the other uh, key senators made the decision to jettison that part of the bill, which was unfortunate. But it became um, 
later what is uh, Section 1758 of the uh, Export Control Reform Act, which uh, is known as ECRA, which mandates the uh, emerging and foundational technology controls, which uh, everyone has been talking about. So we can talk about how that came about as well. But it's interesting because that uh, that compromise provision was actually written by uh, Treasury and the Commerce Department. Mm-hmm. It was not something that the Hill drafted. Um, Treasury and Commerce, you know, were also hearing the pushback, wanting to save the bill, and so uh, so they drafted this provision, which originally was put into the CFIUS bill, and then later during the process, sort of migrated over into uh, ECRA, which was kind of a sidecar piece of legislation that moved in tandem as part of the Defense Authorization Bill. Yeah, I thought that actually fixed a lot of the problem, but I think Greenfield also came up. What happened with that? Greenfield investments were were an interest item as well. It was controversial. The decision was made at a high level that um, companies who are investors who are coming in and building something from the ground up from scratch, uh, they didn't want to do anything to um, to deter that, hmm. to dissuade that. So I think they, they wanted to leave that alone. There was Greenfield real estate, um, as you know, which was uh, was added to the CFIUS jurisdiction. And it's really uh, sort of standalone parcels of real estate that are not part of an existing uh, U.S. company. Uh, those those transactions, whether it's a purchase or a lease, uh, public or private uh, property, those are now covered. So that at least we got that piece. And one of the things that uh, came up, I remember, is uh, scope and scalability. There was a fear for a long time that the committee would be overwhelmed with thousands of applications, according to some. Right. So uh, when Treasury first um, agreed to work with uh, with my former boss and and the other senators, they had sort of three key uh, principles of uh, CFIUS, CFIUS modernization. Um, one was flexibility, one was resourcing, and one was structuring the jurisdiction you know, in a way that would not uh, exceed the bandwidth and, and crater CFIUS, you know, produce so many filings that CFIUS would not be able to, uh, to stay abreast of those and to process those in a timely way. So the, you know, I think the, um, the language of the bill is scoped accordingly. They didn't want to sweep in so many deals um, that they couldn't couldn't stay on top of them. Of course, the regs give them flexibility too. They can mm. use the authority they've got and scope that down more narrowly. So, um, so I expect we'll see some of that shortly as well. Yeah, I hear that the number of cases has gone up, but that might not be a reflection of the changes in the legislation. Yeah, uh, when you asked what was new, I should have also said that the uh, this concept of short form filings is a new thing. They're called uh, declarations. And uh, there was a pilot program that was launched uh, just limited to critical technologies. It was launched, I think, around Thanksgiving last year. And uh, the number of filings for that program has been significantly less than people anticipated. Uh, I think perhaps the reason for that is because one of the hooks for the jurisdiction is that the technology that whatever company is being invested in would have, um, it would have to be you know, controlled as an emerging technology or a, a foundational technology. Uh, this is mainly things like venture capital deals. So if those if those companies, if their technology is not yet considered emerging or foundational uh, by commerce, then those deals are not even subject to CFIUS jurisdiction. So there was a whole bucket of investments that people expected to see covered mm-hmm. by CFIUS due to commerce uh, taking a very deliberative, you might say, snail-like pace. That's on, a polite uh, way to put it. I'm yeah. being diplomat. Yeah. It doesn't happen very <laughs> often. But because of that uh, slow pace, because nothing has yet been controlled, none of those deals were subject to CFIUS review under the hmm. pilot, and they had a lot less filings. Uh, and also, there were a lot of the full filings. People decided to just file the big one, known as the, the joint voluntary notice, which is uh, more expensive, more timely. It's 
it's a greater work. Um, they filed those because that is a guaranteed up or down from uh, from CFIUS, whereas the short form can be just sort of a, hey, thanks for the information. Have a nice day. There's no uh, no obligation to, to give them an answer. Do you think the VC community has uh, learned about CFIUS more than they used to? I mean, Have uh, learned about it? Yeah. I do think there's been a, uh, a large education uh, campaign. Uh, when they first heard about it, probably in, in 2017, I mean, a lot of them had heard it before, but mm -hmm. when it first became more common, um, their trade association, which is quite excellent, the National Venture Capital Association, got very intensely involved in the process. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of meetings. They testified before Congress. Uh, they were very productive in, uh, in terms of uh, talking about it. They've informed a lot of the VC community about CFIUS, about FIRMA, about what it could mean for their for their business. So they, they've done a good job on that. How did you guys settle on emerging technologies as a focus? So emerging technologies really, um, you know, coupled with foundational technologies, really mm -hmm. were the area where the greatest damage to national security was being done in, in recent mm -hmm. years. The erosion of our sort of technological edge in national security, in the context of national security, was uh, was really a principal concern. And, you know, China had really identified the gaps, you know, both in CFIUS, but also in export controls. And they had um, exploited those. So the uh, the focus really was on technology versus infrastructure versus sensitive personal data, at least in the beginning, versus real estate. And, um, you know, there are really two key weaknesses of export controls that needed to be remedied in terms of the legacy uh, system. One is it doesn't do a real good job of preventing, you know, overseas transfer of know-how. That goes back to the sort of industrial capability thing I talked about. And it also doesn't really do a great job keeping pace with the rapid evolution of technology. So those, those two things really are foundational and emerging technologies. And you might think of emerging as sort of, um, you know, cutting edge developmental technologies, things that, that an early stage technology company would have that they'd be working on. And you might think of foundational, just to draw a distinction, as more mature, kind of well understood technologies that remain essential for national security. But these are things that maybe are no longer export controlled, but the, uh, the U.S. companies that have them still have the know-how, which is substantial and very important for, for national security. That's a lot of things like semiconductors, uh, for example. So tech was really the focus, and we, you know, there were gaps that were identified in the legacy system, export controls that, that Congress decided to, uh, to plug here. Were you surprised at the uh, ability or perhaps inability of the U.S. government to come up with lists of emerging technologies. I remember you asked me at one point if we had any lists, and I said yes about 10 years ago. <laughs> well, DOD has been um, able and, and uh, happy to come up with lists of technologies in the past, but there are mixed reviews on, on what, you know, what the, uh, the benefits of that actually was. Um, you know, it's a, it's a controversial topic. You know, what is the right balance in terms of um, not deterring um, mm -hmm. innovation? You don't want to drive innovation offshore. But at the same time, you don't want to see your, you know, your seed corn and your, your crown jewels sort of, uh, you know, given overseas to somebody or transferred in a way that would, uh, would undermine their, uh, their viability here. So it's a tough balance. And the, um, the statute that mandates this process, ECRA, lays out some really important factors, which I think are interesting, maybe just to point out. Um, commerce has to look at the development of those same emerging technologies in other countries as they figure out whether to control them here in the U.S., They've got to look at what effect you know those controls would have on on U.S. development of those technologies, and they've got to look at look at whether those controls would actually work, whether they would be effective in limiting proliferation to uh, to foreign countries. So the process, you know, the whole 1758 uh, process is is pretty it's pretty straightforward. 
It is clearly a mandate from Congress. It doesn't have a timeline on it. There's no deadline by which Congress has to do this. But I've been pretty surprised that they haven't been able to at least control you know, one technology. Um, CFIUS itself rolled out a pilot program in 60 days. And this is one year later, one year plus after the enactment of ECRA, which was the same day. And they still haven't done a single technology. So it's it's been a little surprising. I think industry wants certainty and predictability. Um, the sort of export control hawks want, want things controlled. But everyone's sort of scratching their head about what uh, what's going on. And uh, hopefully there's some resolution soon. How closely are you tracking this? Uh, pretty closely. I go to a lot of events and, and a lot of briefings and talk to uh, – you know, government folks and private sector folks try to stay on top of it. The, the ramifications are, are pretty substantial. What do you think the reaction to CFIUS reform has been? People are generally favorable. Uh, what are you hearing? So I think people are confused about whether or not um, FIRMA and the CFIUS modernization push was, was part of the, the president's trade war with China. Um, I think there's, there's confusion over that. Uh, if you look at the timeline, um, you know, when uh, my former boss launched this legislation, mm-hmm. uh, it was really, I think, September of 2016. We, this was the Obama administration. And our initial meetings were with career officials in the Treasury Department who worked for President Obama and um, the administration at that time. So it was launched in a bipartisan way on the Hill. It was independent of the uh, the trade war. But subsequently, the trade war you know got off the ground and people just sort of conflated the two. But I think people were largely... Um, Pleased with the balance, you know, the sort of narrow tailoring that I talked about with uh, with Firma. I think um, I think there has been a pretty significant falling off of Chinese investment in the U.S. It's hard to really know what that's due to, whether there are internal factors in China, whether the trade war itself, you know, whether the CFIUS modernization has confused people and, and, you know, deterred, chilled foreign investment. There's no way to really know. But luckily, I think there's been a spike in investment coming out of Europe, which has helped to offset um, that decrease. The Rhodium Group does some really good analysis on this, if you ever have a chance to check out their stuff. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, because investment from China is down. There are internal yeah. factors uh, that the Chinese themselves are doing. But overall, do you think the effect of FIRMA has been to reduce the flow of FDI and uh, foreign direct investment into the U.S.? I don't know. I think it's too early, because the, uh, the implementation is really just, um, just has been just partial. So far, the pilot is the only thing that, uh, that is, has gotten off the ground. So the new regs will take effect no later than March of next year. And uh, I think at that point, we'll be able to assess you know, whether, uh, whether that uh, chilling actually happened. In some cases, there was investment that needed to be chilled. Um, you know, not all Chinese investment is created equal. Not all Russian investment is created equal. Um, in some cases, the investment can be completely benign and beneficial to the U.S. company, to the to the U.S. industrial base, even to national security. Uh, in other cases, it's not so benign. So, the uh, the legislation was written in a way to try to target the ones that were more problematic potentially, and to not sweep up the ones that where the risks were really quite low, where they were uh, pretty much innocuous. And I remember there was a debate about whether or not to name China explicitly. Uh, in the legislation, and that one yeah. sort of came out against it. That was a key debate. I should have mentioned that earlier. So the um, there was a question of whether or not um, you know to create a concept um, you know similar to what the export control system use or what the State Department's human rights uh, policies uh, think about as countries of particular concern, and the export control system uses you know the country groups A, B, C, D, and E. So we toyed with the concept of uh, creating a, a country of special concern concept 
which would be defined um, any number of ways, but you know maybe countries with which there's an, an arms embargo in place, uh, countries that are state sponsors of terror, for example, things like that. But the idea was to not cover all of the uh, U.S. allies and you know especially the Five Eyes countries like Japan. Um, South Korea, to not treat them just as you would the countries that are considered the greatest threats to national security. You'd think it makes pretty good sense. Um, the uh, The Treasury Department didn't want to do that, not to dime them out, but I guess I did. But um, <laughs> they, uh, so they railed against sort of a multi-tiered approach where there'd be, um, you know, sort of the, the mm-hmm. problematic, the higher risk, higher scrutiny countries, and then everybody else. So ultimately that idea, which we pushed in the beginning, was abandoned. Um, despite you know strong support from people like the Chamber of Commerce, other trade associations, uh, a lot in the investment community. And that's because that. they wanted certainty. They wanted. To, uh, yeah, I think they also wanted to to not unnecessarily um, have investment from places like Australia or Canada. Um, you know, maybe Singapore reviewed uh, the same way you would review something from China or maybe Iran. Not that there's a lot of FDI from Iran, but you get the idea. So that concept unfortunately died. But what's interesting is uh, in the bill, there is still a provision which you could make the case, and I think um, I think it's a good one, that they could do the same thing. It's called the country specification provision, and it allows them to scope the term foreign person, which is a key element of uh, CFIUS jurisdiction, to scope that to um, to include, you know, arguably a sort of a good guy list or a bad guy list, you know, a positive or a negative list of countries or maybe even companies. Uh, it's very vague. It's very flexible. I think they could do almost anything they want to um, if they so cho- so chose. So we'll, we'll see what they do with that. Do you think commerce is uh, looking at uh, what CFIUS does as a model in any way for how to reform export controls? I mean, as you noted, the committee moved pretty quickly. Maybe they could learn from that. What would you think? Uh, I think it would be a good idea. I haven't sensed um, much of an interest in, uh, in in adopting, you know, yeah. or you know, copying CFIUS is uh, the pace and the the sort of uh, energy that they've got over there. The export control system sort of moves at its own pace, as you know, being a commerce alumnus. But um, I prefer to call it escapee. Escapee, sure. <laughs> but um, I think what's happening with emerging and foundational technologies needs to be watched pretty closely. I'm not sure they're going to emulate the 60-day turnaround we saw with the CFIUS pilot program, but they did issue an advance notice of proposed rulemaking last November, and they asked for input from industry on things like um, criteria, um, process. You know, how should they identify? How you know how, what what should they include? What should they not include? You know, what types of definitions? Um, so they're carefully. You know, they got 231 comments um, based on that. And I think they're going through those comments uh, in painstaking detail. They're getting a lot of input from the interagency. Uh, there are teams of technical experts, engineers, and whatnot um, talking about these things. There are complex um, technologies here that, so you know, I'm sympathetic to to the challenge they've got. Um, I think in the end, to be a realist, it's possible um, because you know BIS had the authority to control these things previously. It's possible that their process will come back with with nothing or even a very small you know, list of technologies they want to control. Um, if there's no political pressure from their, you know, their higher-ups or from Capitol Hill, uh, from the White House, what have you, um, I think they may come back and say, we've, you know, we've done the homework, we've uh, read the input, we don't think that any of these technologies you know, based on these factors you know, should be controlled. And I think that would be, that'd be surprising to a lot of folks. I think they would get some, um, some negative uh, feedback from Capitol Hill on that. So. Uh, we'll just stay tuned and, and see what happens. 
yeah, we're going to put out a report that says basically don't try and define all these technologies. Use end-user controls. So yeah. don't sell to the PLA. Right, know, right, right. Or connected. Just as a way the a couple of the allies have come in and said, look, we can't figure out what what's an AI threshold. Right, right. So let's move to this approach. I think the um, ECRA had a provision in there requiring a kind of a, a relook at uh, export control policies uh, vis-a-vis China. And I'm not sure that ever was delivered. I think that the deadline came and went, mm. but I believe that was a part of it. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a, a thoughtful uh, policy change. What would you do differently in retrospect? Is there anything that you would have played differently or pushed harder for? Uh, I still kind of regret the Greenfield one a little bit. But. Yeah. <laughs> well, we had a good debate on that, and I was sympathetic to your position. But uh, but we lost. Ultimately, uh, just yeah. a staffer. You got to get the bill through. And so... Yeah. Trade-offs were made. Um, yeah. I think it was it was important that um, the bill had you know strong bipartisan support from people like Senator Feinstein, who worked with, uh, with Senator Cornyn. Um, people like uh, Senator Manchin. Um, in the end, we had people like Senator Warner who supported. There was strong support on the House side too. So you had to make trade-offs to get that. Uh, I think in the end, everybody had the they shared the same conclusion that you know China really poses the single greatest long-term threat to national security. And so we had to work together. Dems and Republicans had to come together and, and push a bill. But um, in retrospect, what would be done differently? I think. Pushing harder on the joint ventures, I think, would have been uh, would have been smart. Maybe if we would have known at, at, at the beginning what we knew at the end, it'd be a different story. But uh, that was the principal problem that uh, Firma was aimed at in the beginning. And I think um, with the sort of stalling of the emerging and foundational process that we just talked about, really foundational technology controls w- would have addressed the joint venture phenomenon that we've talked about. And if those don't happen, those joint ventures are going to continue. And, uh, and the, the kind of damage, the transfer of technology with uh, applications, uh, things like making uh, high-performance uh, computers involving server chips, um, technology which essentially came, it was derived from U.S. technology through these joint ventures. Um, those things are going are gonna to continue. Uh, so that's one. I guess the other one would be I think the multi-tiered approach would have been, been thoughtful. There's a way mm-hmm. to, to do it. Um, I think the State Department always... Um, prefers to avoid naming countries, putting them on different lists of, uh, you know, the quality of their relationship or the level of their national security risk, things like that. And Treasury shared that viewpoint. So it would have been an uphill fight, but I think with industry um, supporting it, which uh, key players were, it might have been doable. So those two things would have been, um, I would have preferred a different outcome, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Do you look back at the Hill and see how attitudes towards China are changing or have they changed? Yeah. Yeah, they have changed. You know, I sort of um, I sort of think of it maybe um, subjectively. Uh, maybe I'm a little biased, but as a seminal moment in the sort of Hill perspective on China, when my former boss came here to CSIS mm-hmm. and gave a speech um, introduced by Dr. Hamry. It was a speech on uh, U.S.-China relations. I think it was the spring of uh, the tail end of 2017. Yeah. But it was uh, it was a very forward-leaning speech. It was when Tillerson was still, was still Secretary of State. Um, before it was sort of in vogue to talk about, you know, the security risks of China. And I, I think that at that moment, um, I, I started to notice that things on the Hill, maybe through some of the briefings that were happening, um, a lot of which were arranged to make the case for, for FIRMA and for other things that were going on, people like Senator Rubio, I mentioned Senator Warner, Senator Cotton, um, certainly Senator Schumer, and Senator Cornyn's the real leader in the sort of China debate. These voices are becoming louder and clearer. And I think um, 
I think Firma was a big piece of uh, getting that debate launched. Even though CFIUS is a very obscure sort of niche topic, it exposed people to the the problems that under under uh, underpinned um, the whole discussion. You think CFIUS is obscure? I do. I think it's uh, <laughs> less obscure today than it was uh, two years ago. Uh-huh. But uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we must live in the wrong part of town because it's <laughs> not obscure way, it's to like me. A, yeah. It's like Disney World here. What's it like being a lawyer now, implementing the law you helped write? So it's uh, it's fun, you know. It's um, it's been interesting perspective to go from kind of the thirty thousand or twenty thousand foot policy view, you know, down mm-hmm. to the uh, the kind of uh, where the rubber meets the road. Companies that are dealing with um, with these regulations that are coming, you know, whether it's um, emerging foundational technology controls or whether it's CFIUS modernization. Um, talking to them, you know, they're explaining real world concerns like I need I need money, I need an infusion of cash. We want to grow, we want to thrive. Um, how do we do this in a way that doesn't uh, you know, doesn't um, sort of implicate CFIUS jurisdiction in a way that I think CFIUS, you know, frankly, could live mm-hmm. with as well. It's not an evasion, but it's a way that do, it sort of a sidesteps CFIUS, um, sort of puts puts aside those national security problems. So those um, those kinds of companies are really fun to work with. Um, hearing their perspective and uh, talking to VC funds who are trying to invest in cutting edge tech companies. It's been a real. Um, it, it's been good. It's been good. It's helped. It's it's made me a little more sympathetic to some of the concerns we heard in Congress when we were writing FIRMA, in, in some cases, but uh, <laughs> not all cases. <laughs> what do you hear from foreign investors? Do you talk to a lot of them? Yeah, with foreign investors, you know, the big thing has been, um, I mentioned that country specification thing. A lot of uh, mm-hmm. investors from places like Canada and the UK are really hoping to get on this um, this sort of safe list, this positive list that lets them off the hook from CFIUS review potentially. And there's a lot of confusion and ambiguity because of the provision, and, and uh, no one knows what the regulation will say. But they're all very interested in knowing how they can can qualify, whether that might be kind of a, a DHS, you know, a TSA pre-check kind of system where you uh, get to go through the fast lane, or whether you don't have to go through security at all, for example. Mm-hmm. So that's been the the hot topic, I guess. What are you thinking on the working with other governments? What's your thinking on working with other governments to do? both review of investment, which the Europeans have been pretty slow, mm-hmm. and export controls where we have existing cooperative mechanisms, but they date back to the Cold War. Yeah, I think um, I think they're, they're two different things. I think with CFIUS and with foreign investment screening overseas, I'm much more optimistic. Um, the Treasury Department has built out a whole office, a whole team of people whose job it is to uh, liaise with those foreign partners and allies and help them sort of work their own foreign investment screening systems to improve those. Um, the Five Eyes are, have some of the best. I think Australia and Canada have some of the very best. I believe the UK has a little work to do. Uh, the EU has a uh, process that's being implemented mm-hmm. now. It's more of an informational advisory type system. Um, so I'm optimistic those things can can um, get off the ground and improve. Some of them are in place already, so they're more enhancements. But I think the information sharing uh, authorities within Firma were, uh, were really critical uh, to make sure that uh, there's a level playing field that for CFIUS to be effective, if, you know, if, if we had the perfect technology that you know, some foreign adversary wanted and the Israelis or the Germans had you know, the 85 or 90% solution, and we say no, but they say yes, um, the damage arguably is done and the US company is the one that misses out on the uh, cash infusion. So we'd rather, um, I think, have a more balanced um, level playing field so that doesn't happen. So that's that's what needs to happen there. On export controls, I don't know. I've been a maybe a cynic on um, on the, the, the Vassanar uh, 
system <laughs> and the uh, sort of multilateral controls. I believe Russia is a member of uh, the Vassanar group. Which, it was uh, a deal. I don't understand I'll tell you that. about it offline. Uh, yeah. <laughs> was that during the Russian reset or before? I guess it was probably- yeah, It was there. one of the resets. There's been so yeah, many, I so can't- So many resets, uh, yeah. so little time. But um, yeah, I think with export controls, um, I think there's a lot of work to do. Multilateral controls would be nice. And they do the annual tranche of uh, technologies mm -hmm. they control, which I think there was one in May or June, Yeah, four or five technologies, quantum computing or something. But that's not really enough, I think, if you really want to- Want to have a level playing field and control the uh, the things that are really cutting edge. You miss uh, access to Intel. You miss SSCI. Yeah, it's a fantastic committee. Um, you know, one of the uh, it's one of the few committees where it's it's truly bipartisan, and the senators, of course, in the skip mm -hmm. behind closed doors, are very frank and uh, and they you know very civil and and it's a, a very open debate. They're asking questions, not trying to score points. It's a uh, it's a terrific uh, terrific place to work. So I do miss that. Um, yeah, the Hill is a lot of fun. So the private sector has advantages, but uh, the Hill has a lot of their own. So, Did I miss anything? What else should we talk about? Yeah, I guess I just wanted to point out in terms of the uh, the firma bill, you know, our partners at uh, Treasury and DOD and, and uh, DOJ and the intelligence community and DHS really deserve a lot of credit. It was really a joint effort, you know, between the Hill and between the agencies that uh Yeah, Treasury's done happened. a good job. Yeah, and the other guys too. I know the they've IC got, side pretty well. But. Yeah, they've got serious yeah. people, uh, very competent. All these agencies really have uh, high caliber folks. So it was a real pleasure to work with them. And I think Firma is really a sort of a rare case um, where Congress can work, you know, in a bipartisan way with the agencies and and still pass, you know, significant complex legislation. So hopefully we'll. Uh, We'll see that again before too long. <laughs> yeah, it might have been the one of the few pieces of major legislation to have made it out of the last couple Congresses. Yeah, I was I was uh, staffing my former boss uh, at a meeting uh, in the White House. It was uh, the press was there. It was an open meeting. There's a transcript on the White House uh -oh. website. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the president said that um, Firma is perhaps the greatest bipartisan accomplishment of his uh, presidency. And I thought, uh, on one hand, this was this was two years in, so there was more more presidency to come. But I thought, on one hand, that's a pretty cool accomplishment. But on the other hand, I wish it was a longer list. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, we'll see. As the Chinese aren't giving up, and so we might need to clean up our act. Yeah, certainly. One of the problems with the emerging technologies is that the the list they came out with this list of fourteen emerging technologies, and yeah. it's, it's all over the map. Right. You know, it's kind of all, some. Yeah. You know, hypersonics probably already caught by MTCR. Yeah, yeah. AI probably not catchable, at least easily. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what do you yeah. think about that? Well, I think what they were doing with the fourteen categories, logistics technology. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them. Yeah. it is a bit of cats and dogs uh, yeah. in terms of the mix, and I'm sure some of them are going to be really challenging. You know, artificial intelligence mm -hmm. can be can come in a thousand different flavors, and so you can't treat them all the same. Um, I think what they were trying to do was to provoke discussion and give mm -hmm. um, give people something to talk about to just say, hey, these are on our mind, you know, talk us out of it or talk us into it, you know, and, and versus just saying, hey, emerging technologies, talk amongst yourselves. So there was a uh, constructive um, aspect to it, but I think it also got a lot of people worried that they were going to cast a super broad net mm -hmm. and control every little type of technology in each of these 14 categories, mm -hmm. which uh, maybe it's why they got a, you know, a face blast of 231 comments from the, <laughs> from the, uh, yeah, the stakeholder community. Yeah, well, it didn't help to have a shutdown in the middle. So you, yeah, I give them a little yeah slack for that. Yeah, that was uh, that was unfortunate. Yeah. Okay. This has been great. 
Thanks for listening to Cyber from the Start. You can hear an unedited full version of my interview on the Technology Policy Program page at CSIS.org. There's some interesting stuff in those longer interviews. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. See you on the next episode of Cyber from the Start.